I think it's important for us to have people around us who have no benefit for our ascension or dissension. We need character-filled people who say, I love you for you. Hey guys, you're listening to The Glass House, hosted by Lifeway. We are Ben and Lindley Mandrell, and we have conversations with leaders who have experienced the stress of ministry and have sensed a spotlight on their personal lives. We want to encourage ministry families and provide a glimpse inside their glass house. Uh, today on the show, we have Derwin and Vicki Gray. They leave Transformation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they have an incredible story. Yes, they do. I was amazed listening to their testimony. Derwin was an amazing football player, played at BYU. Vicky was a javelin thrower from Montana. And God was doing this crazy thing in their life. After they met, got married independently, people started sharing the gospel with them. Derwin was with the Indianapolis Colts, and there was a gentleman on the team that he calls the naked preacher that would stand up and preach in the locker room, and he began to hear the gospel in a fresh way and came to receive Christ. At the same time, Vicky had a coworker that was so loving, so kind, so caring. She just won Vicky to Christ, and then they became this power couple committed to doing something new for God, and they began to notice that the church was a segregated place. And so they decided to start a church. Rather than criticize, create a church. And their multi-ethnic congregation in Charlotte called Transformation Church is doing incredible things. The episode today, we want to talk about hurt in ministry. We want to be thinking about church leaders out there that are in the front lines and struggling because they're hurt. Because sometimes people hurt you when you're in the ministry. And it, it helps to sometimes hear other people talk out loud about it. So as you guys have had this journey now working on staff together, which you can talk a little bit about that, what have been some of the hurts along the way you've had to overcome? Yeah, you you know, that is, um, I thank you for this episode because a lot of times, particularly senior pastors and their wives, um, and Vicki is the executive director of strategy. I mean, she's she's phenomenal. She's an apex leader, uh, deep integrity, gospel centrality, theologian. She, she's phenomenal. Like if we're Jordan and Pippin, I'm Pippin. She's Michael Jordan. I mean, <laughs> I mean she is the greatest Christian that I know. Um, the, the, the first thing that I would say to pastors and leaders is, man, if if I could hug you and cry with you, I would. Because Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And our mourning is an exercise in saying, God, this hurts. This isn't right. Our mourning is actually a call for God to do justice. (laughs) And our God is very, very familiar with mourning. Um, He understands what it's like to pour three years into disciples. And he even washed the feet of one of them that was a Judas who turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. And he even knew that they were going to leave him in their dark, in his darkest hour. And even Peter, you know, Peter was, Lord, I'll never turn on you. I'll never do these things. And he's the first one. But yet and still, when Jesus rose from the dead, he talked to a woman first, by the way, 
The <laughs> apostle to the apostles was Mary. So let's let's not forget that very important thing. While the men were out fishing and hiding and scared, it was Mary at the tomb who saw Jesus and went and told those other guys, hey, you can come out of hiding because the king is risen. Mm. So Jesus is 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 on the shore cooking some fish. Right. Peter jumps when he finds out that it's him and he swims to him. And Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he says, do you love me to recapitulate or to redo the three times that he denied him? That's how gracious he he, he is. But this this episode is so important because there's so many leaders, pastors, ministry leaders that suffer hurt alone. And it destroys them. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm thinking about my friend Jared Wilson. Jared and I only uh, we knew each other for years, social media, and unfortunately, Jared took his life. He had struggled with mental health issues, and um, Jared was serving at a church. and He called me the Sunday before he took his life, and he was telling me everything that he was going through, and how he felt betrayed, how he felt used, how he felt hurt. I said, Jerry, you got to resign, man. You got to resign immediately. You got to resign. Like your your health is not worth this. And uh, he said, he said, he said, um, he said, man, I love the way you speak into my life. Can I, can I, can I call you later tonight? And the next thing on a Tuesday, I'm reading in Twitter that Jared Wilson has has taken his life. And so I think it's important for us to have people around us who have no benefit for our ascension or dissension. Mm -hmm. We need character-filled people who say, I love you for you. One of the things in ministry that I think is so vital is that we have we have to have a safe place to process hurt because we all experience hurt. Pastors get hurt and there's not always clarity around who you can talk to about it. If you go and talk to someone in the church, if you go and talk to someone on staff, if you go talk to a deacon or somebody, a leader in the church, there's a chance that that may come back to bite you. And so pastors are often lonely in their hurt. So what do we do with that? Pastors' wives also. Mm-hmm. I think what Derwin had to say about this is really helpful. So let's talk about this. We heard someone say to us recently, Linlea, that we should be safe people pickers. In fact, one of the marks of emotional health is that you are a safe people picker. Right. What do you take by that? Well, I just think you have to be careful in ministry of who you choose to trust, but you have to trust someone. I mean, otherwise you become this island. And so you have to just really navigate who is wanting to be in your life for really genuine reasons. I mean, because unfortunately out there, there are people who you know, would try to befriend me to get information about Ben. Um, There were people who would try to befriend our good friends to try to get information about us. And so, I mean, I don't, I wish there was a magic formula to figure out who the safe people are. There's not, but they, but everyone needs them. Every pastor and pastor's wife gets burned on this because there's people who come up and ask leading questions. And in the moment, it feels sincere. They'll say things like, you're doing okay. Is everything going on in your life okay? And and in that moment, you feel like, well, that's a vulnerable question, so I'll be vulnerable. But what they're really doing is fishing for some information, for some false motive. And people are people, and they take information, and they retell it or recast it in a way. So over the years, you and I have just learned in pastoral ministry, 
there need to be people, like Derwin says, that have nothing to do with our everyday ministry that we share those things with. Right. I think you've done a better job of that than I did over the years. I know when we got to Colorado, you did a lot of hiking with women that didn't go to our church, and it was very life-giving to you. Right. It is nice to have a separation. I mean, could kind of have friends in your life that are not um, just in the everyday workings of your life within the church. I mean, they just love you for you, and they love your kids because they're your kids, and it's not because there's anything that they can gain from that. Um, so, I mean, I just think that is a, a really good practice to have. I agree, and I think everybody needs a, a one or two people in their life where if you told them, hey, I'm going to resign from my job, they'd be like, cool, what are oh, we going to do? Okay, great. <laughs> What's next? Everybody resigns from a job at some point. Right. I mean, they're not like impacted by it personally. Mm-hmm. So they're able to be more unbiased and helpful sure. in, in processing that hurt. You know, w- one more thing that we were listening to a podcast and the lady that had worked for a pastor, you know, she confided or, or she didn't confide. A couple of elders' wives had asked her a specific question and she didn't know that it was a leading questioner that she was being baited. I mean, she was kind of being trapped, um, but she felt like that that would be a safe because it was these elders' wives who just wanted to see, you know, how kind of how she was doing or what a hard part of her job. That's how they asked the question, like, you know, what's something hard about your job? Well, that feels so innocent. I mean, it feels like an innocent question. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two days later, she gets released from her position because, you know, they had told a story that was not accurate to how she remembered the story. Um, And there's really no, there's no way to get around that when two people have different views of how something was said. Like, who wins? I mean, who's right there? And I think with staff people, what it's hard is that you want to be vulnerable and you want to be open and you want to give your heart to staff people. But the truth is, at the end of the day, if you're the lead pastor, you're their boss. And there could come a season where you have to apply some pressure to that ministry because it needs growth and the relationship could become strained. And if you've confided a lot in that person, there's danger there. So I think there's got to be this balance between, yeah, I want to be open, I want to be vulnerable, but... The deepest part of me goes to people outside of what I do. There has to be this healthy balance in that. Lindley and I uh, share with you before the show, but you know, 17 years we were in pastoral ministry together. The last five years we planted a church together. We're on staff together. And it wasn't until we got off that weekly treadmill of preparing Sunday services and volunteers and all that ministry that we realized there was a lot of hurt that stacked up in our life that we needed to deal with and reconcile. Still working through some of that ourselves. And I don't know if you want to comment on that, Lindley, but I mean, it was a process. And the hurt that happens in ministry, it can stay with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, my deal has always been I don't want to be handed something. Like, I want to work for it. I mean, I'm a worker. So when we began the church and someone told us, you're not a specialist, you're a generalist, do whatever you can do to make the thing work. You know, you have to get off the ground. You can't just say, I'm not going to do that. I like this. Um, so we got out there and I mean, we busted it. I mean, we worked hard and, and for 18 months to two years, of course, I was on staff, but I wasn't paid staff because, you know, you, you can't receive a salary. I mean, you know, you don't want to take from the church. It's a baby church and, you know, it's barely thriving. Um, And at a point I did come on staff and I do think, I mean, I did come on staff on the payroll and I think that changed the relationship some. And, you know, he got called in one night by a couple of other people on the staff and, you know, they just said, we feel like there's some nepotism going on here. And what 
what we discovered, he, we kind of blew it off and said, you know, no, she's worked hard, whatever. But what happened is when we left there, he, at some point during that conversation made this inner vow that I, we are not nepotists and I'm never going to stand up for you. You stand up for yourself. And I don't think that he intentionally did that by any means. He's not malicious, but it was kind of like, I don't want anyone to feel this way. So I felt kind of high and dry sometimes. Like I felt like I needed his protection and, and he would have protected any other kids ministry director for some of the criticism, but because it was me and there was this, you know, risk of people thinking he was only protecting me because I'm his wife, you know, that led to a lot of hurt that we had to discover once we got here of, well, that wasn't fair. Like you wouldn't meet with me like you'd meet with normal people about, you know, once a week or, or how once a month, you yeah. know, because, you know, he, of the appearance of it. So, you know, and, and Vicki, what you said earlier, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Just if, you know, you felt like you were Derwin Gray's wife at one point, even yeah. in ministry with him being the platform guy, the preacher, like you, you bring a lot to the table for the church. And sometimes it's, it's hard to manage that even the perception of how that works in the church. So maybe, maybe you could talk about how, how much does that hurt you? Yeah. I will say one of the, the benefits I think of us um, when we first became Christians um, doing this itinerant ministry, this nonprofit speaking organization, but this itinerant ministry where he would travel and speak and I would organize, build a website, donors, et cetera. And I did some speaking as well. And then we served very heavily in our local church. Um, in fact, that, I like to say that's where we were spiritually raised. And so during those years, um, we had a lot of come to Jesus moments in our marriage. So before we even got into leading the church together, God took us through some really hard things similar to kind of what you're talking about, right? Like, what does it even mean to be a husband and wife, right? Like, what does this look like? And so um, that is a huge blessing. Now, um, probably seven years into the church plant, into Transformation Church, um, we really hit some walls. Part of it was we had outgrown our structure and I could see things. He could kind of see them. Um, but my hands were tied and we found ourselves being in this executive meeting where we're the only two arguing and everybody else is sitting there watching us, <laughs> you know, like a tennis match. Yes. 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 You experienced that. Okay. We've been there a lot of times. Yes. Cause we, we are not afraid to exchange, uh, some, some heated debate. So the blessing is, you know, we get to that point. Well, through all of this and because because we're athletes and, and like you, Lindley, just this this hard work, don't give up, high responsibility, blue collar, blue collar, like I'm going to make this work. And so there's no balls dropping on my watch. Right. Well, I begin to overfunction. <laughs> um, people, I think, are happy to let me overfunction because that's less off of them. Right. But it just created this dysfunction. I actually went into a couple years, didn't even know it for probably about two years that I went into like a clinical depression um, because there was also some friendship issues on our team that I was caught in the middle of that I, I was just stuck. And all I could do was pray and cry and ask God to like do something huge. And so. Well, and during that season also, um, uh, we had some family extended family dynamics with mental health issues 
that was present and glaring and difficult. And so yeah. you've got these various things. And the way I describe it is like it, it, was, it was our first church plant. And one of the things that I'm learning in leadership as a football player, it's like, listen, we practiced together. We studied film. You got your role. I got my role. Let me know if you need help. Well, I'm changing that is I'm going to have to be more of a, I got my role and I'm going to make sure you got your role too without micromanaging, but accountability, not just for competency, but for character. Right. Right. And, and um, so the dynamics, uh, the best illustration that I could give for what we went through is when we first put in a sprinkler system at our home, uh, we had these trees and, and they were young and the root was like this thick. It, it wasn't thick, thick at all. But as a decade goes by, the root has tripled in size. And what it did is it broke our sprinkler head. Well, our culture in a leadership capacity was the structure couldn't fit what was happening. And there were character flaws mm -hmm. that was breaking things. Mm -hmm. And so that was mm -hmm. because she's such a uh, she owns things. And once she gets going, she goes. And it, it wasn't the support are the yeah. help. And, and so, yeah, you know, there, there, there was, um, um, there hasn't been like, well, Vicky's not doing this because yeah. it, it's, it's more of what's said behind our backs to undermine our character. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like for, for me, part of the hurt I felt in that scenario was, does he not, cause you know, you said the thing about, I'm just Darwin Gray's wife. I'd be like, Okay, you're the lead pastor. Do you not think I can do this? Like, I have this ownership too, you know? And then he'd be like, you're in too deep. You can't see that you're in too deep. And I would take that as like, like an attack that I'm not capable. And, um, and really we got to a point where I actually took a month off, saw, went to the doctor, et cetera. We had some conversations because it was threatening to tear us apart. And, um, had some, I have a, an incredible mentor who I talked with and she, she reminded me, you are not Transformation Church. You are the beloved of Jesus. Had we have not gone through what we went through three to four years ago, I would be in a fetal position on the floor, unable to move. But I said, because I saw God show up, in that deep pain and do what he did. I know he's got us. Like I literally get in the car and the song that's playing is if our God is for us, who can be against us? I don't even know the name of it, but you know what song I'm talking about. And literally I'm thinking of the scripture. If God is for you, who can be against you? And I have a deeper and a thicker resolve that is rooted in God's sovereignty, God's control, God's plan. This is God's church. It's not even our church. And if he doesn't want us here, then we're going to like, okay, we'll go. And so, but had we have not gone through that painful season of hurt, I, we wouldn't be able to handle the most, the, what we're in right now. Yeah. And, and just to piggyback on what she so eloquently said is, uh, um, I'm, I'm really falling in love with first and second Corinthians I mean, I've read them before, but different seasons, they're different things. And right. uh, First Corinthians may have the most practical theology of any any of Paul's books. And Paul, in essence, is writing to uh, multi-ethnic churches that are rejecting him. 
You know, they are, they are, they are rejecting him. They're people undermining him. Um, and he, he is fathering them and loving them through it. And it's really important for us to understand Jesus died for his church. We don't have to. And so the best thing Vicki and I can give Transformation Church is a healthy, spirit-filled, gracious, wise, humble leadership and being healthy, not, not killing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I want to encourage leaders who are hurting. You're going to get through it, but let God work in you. Also, make sure there are other pastors you can confide into. Make sure there's other people who support you and to encourage you. And, and, and then own the aspects where you allow toxic dysfunction to fester. Because people are not looking for perfect leaders. Intuitively, we know perfection doesn't exist, but humility is rare. When Vicki was um, referring to this season of overfunctioning, I really related to that just because um, I could, I found myself in our church planning journey of not wanting other people, other staff members, any of our launch team to assume that I had gotten to a role because I was Ben's wife. And so in my mind, I made this vow that I've got to work, work, work to make sure that they know that I deserve this position that I'm in. And it's not because he's given it to me. And so I found myself similarly also just over-functioning, like, what can I do? Um, what more What more can I do? I mean, even to the, to the um, detriment of our family sometimes. I mean, the kids would get home from school. They were all elementary age at this point. And, um, you know, I would send them to play because I, there was more emails I could do. There was more things. And I think over, over the years when we were at Storyline, I did get better at learning to delegate and, um, and learning that, you know, developing leaders is one of the greatest gifts. But, I mean, it took a process of me going through my own season of overfunctioning. I think what you and Vicki are referring to here is really a discussion of Acts chapter 6 where the apostles decided they couldn't effectively teach and pray for the church and wait on tables. Uh, they recognized their limitations and if they would have tried to just say, no, we're going to do it all, they would have destroyed the ministry of those people that stepped up and filled those roles. But in the church, you really do feel the pressure of, man, I got to carry extra weight. I got to carry not only my weight, somebody else's weight, particularly in a church plant setting which is what they were in as well, because you feel like we're going to do this. This is not going to fail. It's on our shoulders. And that tenaciousness is a little bit of what draws you into church planning, but it can also be the thing that kills you. Well, I I look back at it, and it's also pretty harmful when, I mean, the pastor and pastor's wife can think that. And what happens is that you exclude people who also can do that stuff. And I mean, and that is the beauty of the church is when you combine everybody's gifts. And so when, you know, when you or I decide that if it all, you know, rides or dies on us, then, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a healthy attitude. Our, our church planning journey, I have so many sweet memories, but also so many huge regrets. I overfunctioned, um, just trying to every day move the ball down the field. We moved to the most beautiful state, Colorado, and you had to beg me to go on a hike. You had to beg me to go see a site. 
I was so focused on building the church, I couldn't see anything else. And I think we bring hurt on ourselves when we do that. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from expectations from other people. When people, when churches are donating their money, they, the first question they ask every time when you come back to a missions conference is, so how many are you running? How many people are you running? Or how many people are you baptizing? And, and in different areas of the country, you know, a number is very different. Um, you know, 150 in Colorado versus 150 in Mississippi versus 150 in, in New Jersey is all very, very different, but it sounds the same. And so it feels really, um, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, it does cause a lot of overfunctioning because you want to be able to say to your sponsoring church in, you know, in the South that, hey, we're a few months old and we are running 150 already. So, I mean, and then that brings that really unhealthy wheel of keep pushing, keep pushing because we're impressing people and we're getting more and more numbers and, and they like to hear that. And what happens in the midst of that is you lose your soul, your identity, your marriage mm-hmm. as you're trying to build a church. But I think for us, we we didn't realize that's what happened when we got off the church planning wheel. That's when this emotional journey began and we realized all the hurt that we didn't even know was happening. One of the things I've recognized in myself with the overfunctioning is, especially for women who have children, is when they're little, we we do have to overfunction. Like that is part of what parenting is, whether you're a mother or a father, right? Like you have to get them their food. You have to, but the goal is, is that you overfunction less and less as they grow in responsibility, right? What I found was it was too easy for me to transfer those in good intentions over to my leadership at the church because, because of the ownership that we had, right? Yeah. And what I've realized is my over-functioning is causing someone else to under-function. Yeah. And that's very dangerous, yeah. right? Um, and in that process, and, and this, this also goes back to the hurt, because when this situation happened three or four years ago, I felt so betrayed, so angry, so hurt. And I remember one morning up early praying and journaling And I was just like, Lord, how, like this hurts so bad. How could anyone do this? And I really sensed, you know, not the audible voice, but I sensed the impression of, well, you're so hurt because you were doing it for them and not for me. Mm. We have two questions we like to ask every ministry couple as we finish up. And I'm going to let Lindley ask the first one. Yeah. So, I mean, the first question we asked just in regard to living in the glass house where people have opinions about everything you do, you know, what has been the most challenging aspect for you two living in the glass house? Mm-hmm. The most challenging um, for me has been trying to raise children in the glass house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that because you have this desire to protect them and you you want to do things well and honor God in that process. And often well-meaning people will say things to your children and, and they don't mean it to come across wrong, but then your kids can receive it wrong. And then they're receiving these arrows, right? And then you're feeling stuck because we tend to be um, just very transparent, but we're like, 
how do we be transparent about our kids' stories when it's their story, but yet we're the parents? And so that has always been a challenge for me of, okay, but I'm still a, a mom, I'm still a wife, so I have to be able to share the things I struggle with, but do it in a way that doesn't dishonor my children or share their story that, you know what, that's theirs to share when they feel like God's given them the opportunity to share that. And so that has by far been the hardest thing for me. And don't use sermon illustrations of your children without asking. Them. Yeah. Yes. Or wife. <laughs> or wife. Yes. I've made that mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just, um, just adding to, to what she's saying is making sure um, that you protect your kids. Cause I remember when our daughter was 13, 14, people were asking her about plans for the church plan and what we were going to do. And she's, she's like, I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. Like this is their church plan. This isn't mine. And so they have to be able to grow up themselves um, without the pressure of, well, you must have planted the church too. It's like, no, I'm just trying to get through ninth grade. Yeah. Well, our time is short, but this is our favorite question. You know, ministry is hard, but it's worth it. There's people out there who are thinking about quitting, throwing in the towel. They're frustrated. They're discouraged. And maybe they should, but maybe they should also consider enduring and sticking it out. What would you say is the real joy of living in the glass house? Why is it worth it for you? I think I would say it's worth it because Jesus has called me to it. Mm. And it is being faithful to what he's asked me to do. And so if you are thinking about throwing in the towel and like Ben said, and maybe that is what, you know, your next step, I don't know, but I would say get along with Jesus and wait to hear clearly from him what he has for you, what he wants you to do, because the greatest joy is being obedient to the God that loves me so much. Yeah. And I would say this before you throw in the towel, never forget that Jesus wraps a towel around his waist to wash your feet. And what I mean by washing your feet, therapy, counseling, mentoring, working through your trauma, working through your sanctification, and also, um, bigger churches doesn't mean better. Sometimes bigger means more headaches. So, so think emotionally healthy spirituality in the words of Pete Scazzaro is that we want to be healthy, joyful people, even in the midst of hurt. And so like have some mentors, but tend to your soul because yep. here's, because here's the bottom line, wherever you go, wherever we go, we take us with us. And God wants yep. to do a, a healthy, beautiful work in us. And why is it worth it? It's worth it because Jesus is worth it. He's the greatest worth that there is. That we are the body of Christ called to be under shepherds to the great shepherd. And the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us lay down in green pastures and he leads us to still waters and he renews us. The Glass House is a production of Lifeway Christian Resources, hosted by Ben and Lindley Mandrell, executive produced by Joy Allman, produced and edited by Angie Elkins, original music by Robert Elkins, and graphic design by Cameron Spooner. Thanks for listening to The Glass House, where we hope to shed light on the dark places of ministry, one conversation at a time.